Of course, we're here uh, this morning to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And it's one of those times, only maybe <clears throat> once a year, twice a year, where everybody knows whether you're a um, you know, faithful church-going person or you're um, once-a-year person um, or got dragged by a friend and never come to church. But even if that's the case, you know the topic of the sermon on Easter before you come, right? You're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and we're going to do that this morning as well. But I, in the few minutes that I have, I want to ask and answer, try to answer, a question that Jesus asks and um, asks his followers, the original followers of this event in the um, John's Gospel. So if you have a copy of John's Gospel, open up to John chapter 20, or a copy on your phone, however you access the Bible. And the question is this, that Jesus asks his, you know, original followers, you know. It's one thing to have a lot of time to think about it, you know, let's say if in this case, you know, your, your Christian faith, you know, and someone asks you, or you go to a meeting, or someone, you know, wants to know uh, what's your profession of faith, or do you believe in God, but this is, this is in the moment. You're an original follower of Jesus. The resurrection happens, and, and Jesus asks this question, and it's the question worth re-asking um, this morning, and that is, who is it you're looking for, right? That's what Jesus asks. People that come, his early followers, he had told them he was going to rise from the dead, but the center of the Christian message, right, it's, it's everything. It's the, it's the whole ball game. It's the watershed. It's the, it's the heart and soul is uh, the claim, this very big claim, supernatural claim that Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of God, rose from the dead. Not resuscitated, but rose from the dead. But it asks us the question, I want us to ask the question, who is this Jesus? Who is it? that you're looking for, that you see as Jesus um, in the resurrection this morning. So John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, a familiar passage, a resurrection passage. One of the followers of Jesus, the first one to see his resurrection, a woman named Mary Magdalene. Follow along as I read. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. This is, as I said, 
no surprise to you, um, the most important event in the, in the whole Christian faith, right? And now you'd say, what about the cross, uh, Rob? Well, the cross above my head, the symbol of Christianity across the world, all the continents, of course, we celebrate that because it represents the death of Christ on behalf of our sin. If it wasn't for the cross, which is a, a symbol of the, of the sacrifice, he died for our sin, he was punished for our sin, that's grace, that's God's forgiveness, none of us um, would have any hope relative to salvation. But the resurrection is what makes the cross available to us, right? If Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, then all the benefits of the cross would not be available to us. So the resurrection is what vindicates and what actualizes the realities and the truths that took place on the cross. It's the most important event, but I would say to you in the few minutes I have that this passage, the resurrection is not simply the most important event in the Christian gospel. It is also a revelation of the person at the center of the resurrection story, which is, of course, the Son of God himself. So what I want to do in the few minutes I have is to, is to look at what this passage tells us, not simply about what happened, but about who God is, the God that you've come to consider here this morning. Three things this tells us by way of revelation. The first one is his love has no boundary, okay? And I want you to think about these three points, okay? That is to say, whether you're a mature Christian, been a Christian for a very long time, you're, you're a brand new Christian, you're a skeptic, anywhere along the line to say this, I want you to think about these questions in your own life, right? Does God's love today, even if you're the most mature Christian in this room, right? Does God's love, have you drawn in a manner of speaking, right, metaphorically, a boundary in your life for the love of God? I'm saying to you that what this passage says is that whether you're a mature Christian or a skeptic, God's love has no boundary or should have no boundary in your life. Now, many of you may know, or, or those of you who are, are students of the Bible, but this is worth um, mentioning in this point, that all of the first-hand eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is just one passage, Every single one of them in the four Gospels are all women, right? Eventually, he appears to the apostles who are all men, but all the witnesses are women. And Mary Magdalene, who's the person in this passage, she is one of those women, but she is, kind of goes a step above. She's the first among peers of those women to actually witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Mary Magdalene's not just a woman, which is unusual in this culture to be called as a witness, but she's a, she's a, um, all the only thing we know about Mary, uh, one of the few things is she was demon possessed, okay? Now, we don't think about demon possession a lot in our day. She was delivered from seven demons, Luke's gospel tells us. But I suppose if we were, if we were casting this story in the 21st century, because we don't talk about it, we'd say she's a woman and she might have severe mental disabilities. She might seem like she's, I don't know, schizophrenic or like someone who's just, who's, who's not in their right mind. Someone that you and I might say, this person's 
not saying, okay, for, 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 to put it in our own context. This is the person under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the God who controls everything, that happens to be the first witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, when I say to you, 21st century audience here, very sophisticated uh, folks that we are, when I say to you that women were the first people to see the resurrected Jesus, just sort of like, so what, what's the big deal? But in this day, okay, it was an astonishing fact. The guys or whoever was putting together these, the scriptures, as we know, the canon of scripture, you know, decades later, when the church was not a big deal, when it was not all over the world, when it was not a known quantity of a world religion, they're doing everything they can do to bolster and in, encourage the early faith, right, to make Christianity get its sea legs. You know, no one would make up the idea, right? That a woman was, if they were making up the Christian faith, they wouldn't put a woman as the first witness in a culture when women in the first century, they could not even be, even if you were, forget Mary Magdalene, you were Mother Teresa, you could not be a, a witness in a civil court. Why, Pastor? Because of your gender. Okay? Women could not even be a witness in court. You're going to get married. You're going to, you know, have, buy some property. You're going to, uh, you know, witness some kind of certificate. Well, guess what? If you're a woman, you can't be a witness. You can't stamp the paper. In this case, it was a pretty uh, 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 amazing claim. One historian, none of us would know him unless you're a philosophy student, but he was a well-known second-century Greek philosopher named Celsus. And he was very against the Christian church. He wrote a whole book against attacking the Christian movement, which was very humble at this time in the early part of the second century. And one of his central cases that he made in his book to say that Christianity was bunk was Mary Magdalene as the first witness. Because he said, listen, what kind of faith? The most important event in the Christian faith, some would say, the most important event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus. And you're saying that the person, the first person to see this event, to be the witness, right? When you want to have witnesses in court that need to be credible, is a woman who is demon-possessed. And this is what Celsus said in his book Against the Christian Faith. Quote, how can anyone expect rational men to listen to the testimony of a hysterical female? Right? Can you believe that? That was Celsus, by the way, not Catalani. Don't quote me, okay? <laughs> Point simply is this. Here's the quote. What do I mean by God's love has no boundary? Why am I mentioning this? Why is Mary Magdalene and her choice an illustration that God's love has no boundary? If the God that controls history, if you go with me for a minute, you believe that the God who controls not only history certainly controlled the events around the sending of his son the Bible says that was in God's heart before the foundation of the world this was the this was the most executed plan of all um, history was the, the death life and death and, and resurrection of Jesus if the God who holds history if the God who had all the events carefully uh, calculated around the coming of his son was in in the creation of the scriptures why would you take such a great risk if you want people to believe the gospel and put a woman or a number of women and Mary Magdalene as the first witness. In just the last chapter and a half of this gospel, the rest of John 20 and the rest of John 21, there are three different appearances 
of Jesus the Messiah to his 12 male apostles. They're all here. And if I'm, a, if I'm a historian, I could leave out the Mary Magdalene thing. I'm not telling a lie. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you all true facts. I don't have to put everything in here. In fact, John 20, we'll see this verse in a minute. It says, everything that Jesus said and did, it's not recorded in the Bible. Selective things are recorded to make a point. So I wouldn't need to put that in there. Why take that risk, God or apostles, when you know that the entire culture of the first and second century, as soon as they find out that this great event, the, the resurrection of somebody from the dead, which is the centerpiece of the Christian message, was witnessed, the person whose name's on the document is a woman that is not credible even for a small matter of claim, small claims court, and she's crazy. Okay, why would you do that? I'll tell you why, I think. Because accurate reporting is not the point, although John is giving you accurate reporting. It's a revelation. And John's not only telling you what happened, he's not only telling us what happened, listen carefully, he's telling us in the witness of choice of Mary Magdalene who God is. Okay, God is telling you something about who he is in choosing Mary Magdalene. Think for a minute, very quickly, about another great revelation. I'm talking about God showing who he is. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. But it's the great story of Moses in the Old Testament. And Moses is this amazing leader. Okay? Another, a lot of people would know Moses too, right? even if you're not a church-going person. Moses, right? Was, I think it was on TV last night, right? <laughs> the Ten Commandments, right? Moses, Charlton Heston, right? Moses was... Um, was given this great leadership challenge to take the people of God, two million strong, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, the plagues, if you know this story, and he does this amazing feat, and they get to the Mount Sinai where they get the Ten Commandments and the Covenant, and it's all wonderful until it isn't. And the people of God, you know, uh, just, just fall apart, and they have the golden calf, and, and literally everything is going wrong. And Moses has a heart-to-heart with God of the Old Testament, with God. And he says, this is a paraphrase, Exodus 32 and 33, says, God, listen, um, I'm at my wit's end. I can't go any further. And you have been telling me ever since you, you called me way back there in Egypt, you've been using this language, I know you by name. That's a Bible way of saying, I know you. And God would say to Moses, I know you by name, which means I know you right through and through, and I trust you, and you've been telling me that you know me, but he said, listen, Moses says, I don't know you, and unless you give me a better understanding of who you are, I'm not going on any further, and then Moses gives this very bold statement, Exodus 33, I think. He said, listen, show me your glory, right? which is a Bible way of saying the glory just simply means distinction. Moses is saying in that statement, listen, I, want, I don't care. I don't want to see your power. I don't want to know about the manna. I don't want to know about, you know, you can do this and you can do that. He says, I want to know who you are. Show me your glory or I'm not going further. And God says this. Good. I like that, Moses. I like your, I like your interest. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. No one can see my face and live because I'm pure holiness and righteousness, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, Mount Sinai, 
I don't, we don't know exactly what this means, but I'm going to put you in, I'm going to tuck you into this rock formation. And I, in a manner of speaking, Almighty God, I'm going to come, I'm going to pass by, and you're not going to see everything there is to see of me, but you're going to, I'm going to give you a limited revelation of who I am. Not what I can do, but who I am. And I'm going to sort of guard it, and you're going to see it. I'm going to share with you. You're the first one, Moses. My name, which in this world doesn't mean, you know, Rob and Tom and, and Bill. It means to share your name means to say who you are. I'm going to tell you my name. You know what he said? Listen very carefully. Moses passes, or excuse me, the Lord passes by, and he says, and the Lord said his name. This is it. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The Lord is a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and sin. What is he saying? In other words, he's saying, Moses, you really want to go forward with me? I'm going to tell you who I am. But who I am is this. If you really want to follow me, I am no long, I'm not going to act in concert with your religious framework. I'm not going to stay in the box that you or even the people have put me in. Let me tell you who I am. I will love who I want to love. I will have mercy on who I want to have mercy. I will have compassion on whoever I want to have compassion on. And I'm not saying that just to say because it's my prerogative. I'm God and I can do what I want. I'm telling you that's who I am, right? God's love has no boundaries. Do you believe that in general when it comes to these people are, are, uh, can be okay and these people can't be okay? And do you believe that in your own personal life? Or have you decided, consciously or unconsciously, that God's love can go this far and only no further? You know, there's one thing, Easter, the thing about Easter is there's great variation in people that come to Easter service. That is to say, People who are true blue, you know, uh, devoted Christians, all the way to people who, you know, got dragged to church and never come, okay? And we're all, but here's one thing I can say about every person in this room and in this room over the course of this weekend, is that God's love is bigger than the room that you are making for him in your life today. I don't, you might be the most mature Christian in here, even you, God's love is bigger than the room that you are making for him in your life today. That's why Mary Magdalene is the first witness. And the challenge to every one of us in the, how do you apply this message? You need to decide that you're going to move that boundary. You're going to open up that um, lever and allow God's love to get into a place in your life that you have not let him in before. God's love has no boundary. God chose Mary Magdalene so that nobody in 2,000 years or more will feel they're unworthy or beyond his reach. Second thing this passage tells us, the second revelation point in this resurrection story is his power is unlimited. Right? His power is unlimited. Again, do you believe that in your life today? Do I believe? There's only two things that we know about Mary Magdalene. And I mentioned this uh, in an earlier service. 
um, I read a lot about uh, in preparation. And, and Mary Magdalene's got a bad rap in 2,000 years because from, you know, all across the spectrum, Catholic, Protestant, whatever the case may be, scholars have conflated the story of Mary Magdalene with other women in the Bible, right? With um, other women, um, whether it's Mary of Bethany, whether it's the woman at the well, and, and, and Mary's gotten um, conflated, and things that have been said about other women have been said about her. Namely, if I played this little game with you this morning, I won't. You know, I'll say something, and you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. If I said Mary Magdalene, if someone had said that to me, even 5, 10, 15 years ago, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I'd probably say prostitute. Because Mary Magdalene has often been conflated with other women that we know. Woman at the well is a good example. The woman that washed Jesus' feet, unnamed. She's just called a sinner, which is a euphemism for a prostitute, Luke chapter 7. And they've said Mary's this, but finally the church... Protestant and Catholic have come to some clarity in the 20th century anyway, the last century, and have, you know, separated that. The only two things we know about Mary Magdalene is she was wealthy and she was demon-possessed, okay? Or in our thinking, maybe she had severe uh, 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 mental, uh, at least appearances of mental illness in her life. But this is what we also know. We don't know how it happened, that she was delivered of these, um, of this demon possession. And again, it's hard for us to appreciate that, but I want you to just think for a minute. Forget demon possession if you have no vision for that or believe in that or whatever. But let's say if you can imagine in your mind someone, I don't know, I'm not picking on anyone or, or trying to pigeonhole, but maybe it's a homeless person. Maybe it's someone who's, who's had severe mental illnesses and schizophrenia. I mean, just someone that you've been around and you just say to yourself, I cannot imagine that this person's ever going to have another clear day. I mean, I mean, to be clear, to be in the right mind. I just, it seems beyond possibility, okay? Mary Magdalene was this person. And because of her encounter with Jesus Christ, she went from being what she was in a very confused reality, tremendous amount of shame that came along with it, and she instead was someone in her right mind, and she was a devoted disciple of Jesus, and that's why she's here. In fact, she's so devoted that James, or excuse me, Peter and John, the two sort of chief quarterbacks of the apostles, they had come at the same time she did in the first part of this chapter. They see the empty tomb, they're kind of confused, and they just go off. They're still sort of scratching their heads. She stays, and she gets the revelation of the, to see the, the risen Jesus. She's that devoted, but here's what's so interesting about that. Her greater problem at this moment is not yet been solved, right? Even though she had this amazing situation where she went from having um, all this confusion and all this shame and being like, you know, a pariah in her society, right? Worse than a prostitute, probably. She was of clear mind. Her greatest problem had still not been solved and she didn't even know what her problem was. Say the demons in Mary Magdalene's life filled an empty place caused by a broken relationship with God. I would say the same thing for us, of which we might use materialism, maybe our work, maybe drugs, 
epidemic in our culture, as you saw in that video, to fill the empty places in us. But that's not the primary problem. That's a symptom, right? And some of us are looking for a Jesus. You know why a lot of people get in the church but don't stay in the church long? Because they're looking for God to, to heal their marriage. They're looking for God to get them a, you know, a, a better situation. We're looking for God like he's, you know, like some kind of, you know, a motivational speaker to get us out of a jam. And if he gets us out of a jam, we follow him. But if he doesn't, we're, we're done with him. And the whole time we're missing the real Jesus and what he's really come to do. And what Jesus is saying in this passage to Mary is, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm as grateful as you are that I delivered you from this, from this problem that you had. But Mary, that's not your primary problem. And if you don't let go of me right now, Right? If you're not willing to let go of the early Jesus and be willing to embrace a bigger Jesus, I can't solve your real problems because i got to go to the Father. And it's only when I go to the Father, verse 17, and I ascend to the Father, this is, this is sophisticated theology, but I think you're with me, where I can present my offer, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, where the sacrifice is complete, only then... The very next verse is verse 21, 22, 23. We didn't read. Then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And see, once I send the Holy Spirit, then I can do some real work in your life. It's only then that the application, the peace, the love, the joy, the forgiveness, the power, then it's going to come into your life. Okay? But see, there's a lot of us, I think, who are holding on to a limited vision of God, what he did in my life yesterday. And by doing that, you're keeping him. I'm keeping him from doing something more substantial. And if you want God to do a bigger work in your life, right, this is why Mary Magdalene, he's going to have to grow a bigger presence in your life. You know, John chapter 1, Jesus picks his 12 disciples. It's almost a comical story. And there's a guy named Nathaniel, and Nathaniel is one of the 12 disciples. And, and Jesus, the first time he meets him, he sees him and he says, hey, um, Philip had introduced him and he says, behold a man in whom there is no guile, which is a Bible way of saying a, a man of integrity. And Nathaniel had never met Jesus Christ before and he says, he was so impressed, you know. And he said, um, you know, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you this morning when you were under the fig tree. In other words, Jesus showing his supernatural powers. He said, I saw you, you know, in my own supernatural way when you were sitting under a fig tree. And, G and Nathaniel says this, John 1, he said, listen, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, right? In other words, you've demonstrated your power, that's amazing, and, you're, and I'm, I'm claiming you as my Lord. And Jesus said this. I would imagine, he doesn't say, he had a smile on his face and he said this. This is a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. He said, you believe you're going to make that kind of a claim just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? I mean, someone could have told me that, you know. Uh, that's why you're going to tell me that? And he said, listen, if you follow me, you're going to see much greater things than this, Right? Same is true for you and the same is true for me. But not if you're, if you're not if you're willing, unwilling to let go of the Jesus you're holding on to and, and allow a greater presence of God to come into your life. Right? God's power is unlimited. Do you believe that? Two and a half weeks ago, I'm at my gym working out and I feel a little lightheaded. 
and I decide I just need to take a break, go get a drink of water. I get a drink of water. The next memory that I have, I'm in an ambulance um, on my way to Strong Hospital. And I'm, t- I'm talking to this um, med tech or whatever, uh, what do they call those people? EMTs. And I said, uh, I thought, is this someone? I didn't believe it. We, you, 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 you collapse the set and the other thing, and I'm thinking, so I'm getting punked. You know, I mean, what is, what, I don't, it didn't make any sense to me. I had no memory of what was going on. Until I got to the hospital, I had a black eye. I said, okay, something happened. And uh, I did no idea what had happened, and then began a battery of tests. I was there for the hospital, you know, this scan, that scan. And one after the other, you know, you're waiting with bated breath, you know, negative, negative. And let me, the punchline is they were all negative, right? I lived to see another day, okay? But, but in the middle of that, I had an unguarded moment. I was standing with my, uh, my sisters, and I said, I kind of hope that they do find something. My sister said, why? I was stupid. And I said, um, because I don't want to live the rest of my days waiting for the, you know, the piano to fall, you know. I don't want to have to live every day just wondering, is this day going to be my last day, right? And my sister said, there's nothing new about that. <laughs> she said, you've been living that way for years. We all live one day at a time. And then sister number two said, maybe God has um, brought this into your life to create a greater daily dependence on him so you might better understand and help people in the congregation that perhaps you don't understand and you're not helping today. Aren't family encouraging? (laughs) Okay. God's power is unlimited. But do you believe that? Right? The only way you're going to know that is if you're willing. Mary, let go of me. Right? Let go of me. The, the, the victories of yesterday are, need to be put down. The Jesus of yesterday in a manner of speaking, that is, the size of which he is, plays in your life, needs to be put down. A lot of us are spending our time defending the Jesus of yesterday when the Jesus of tomorrow is saying, come, right? Come. God's power is unlimited. Lastly, his offer is personal, right? His offer. You know what turns this whole thing around? They're very careful. I'm almost done. It's one word. It's in verse 16. It's Mary, right? It's Mary. Jesus says, Mary, and when there's a there's a there's a there's a discussion in John chapter ten. It's called the Great Good Shepherd um, discourse, and Jesus says to a bunch of religious leaders, people who ought to know better, people who are in church, and he said, "Listen, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me." And the implication of that is, if you don't hear my voice and you don't follow me, you're not my sheep. And he wasn't talking to you know, people on the fringes. He was talking to people in church. He's saying there's a real danger that you can, be, you can be right in front of this stuff and not even get it, okay? But we, everyone who is a Christian 
shares this experience with Mary. If you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, it's because God said your name. Right? Mary, Dave, Tom, you know, Mark, Joe, right? He said your name and you turned and you responded. So I want to end with this same question where we started. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for a God who's going to meet some need in your life? Even a great as need as big as what Mary had. God, I have this really big problem, physical problem, social problem, right? I have a big problem. Are you looking for a God to meet a need in your life? Are you looking for a God <clears throat> to affirm your point of view, right? You know, the, the, it, I'll believe in it if, if God lines up with my politics. Or are you looking for a God who you're willing to have him change the course of your life, right? That's what we're talking about. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, including the choice of Mary, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. The resurrection of Jesus Christ not only offers us the forgiveness of sin, but it offers us a whole new kind of relationship with God. That's why Jesus says, verse 20, or verse, excuse me, verse 8, 17, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Listen, Jesus achieved in the resurrection more than enough capacity to forgive the sin of every single person. But he doesn't throw it at you. He doesn't blanket the world with it. You come one person at a time. Mary, right? You need to believe in the resurrection. So we're going to sing a song in a manner of speaking or that is a prayer and an invitation itself in just a minute. But first, before we do that, and I hope you'll all apply this beautiful song to your own life. I want to just lead you all in a prayer. So let's just pray. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. And I want to first just begin, just in this minute. If you're a Christian in this room, you know that without a, a doubt. Ask yourself this. Do you want to live with a greater sense of God's love and power in your life today? If you'd say, God, I want to let go of my incomplete or compartmentalized God and open my life to a greater God and a greater experience of his resurrection power, right where you are, I want you just to raise your hand, okay? I just want to, up and down, okay? Thank you. Now, if you're a non-Christian in this room, right, that is to say you've never experienced the total and complete forgiveness of Christ, you'd say, listen, I've been to church before, I've read my Bible some, I believe in Jesus for years, but I've never surrendered my life to him, never opened my heart without reservation to his love and forgiveness. I've never said in my own words, I'm done with my way. I want to live your way with your power. Right? If that's your story, I just want you to have the courage to raise your hand wherever you are. No one sees it but me. Just raise your hand up. Up high and then put it down. 
Thank you, thank you. Just put it up high, thank you. Slip it up, up high and down. And I want you to say thank you, thank you. Just say this prayer quietly in your heart, just between you and God. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for my sin and to rise, having earned the right to forgive my sin. I turn to you today, receiving him as Savior and you as Father. Send your Holy Spirit that I too may live a new life. In Jesus' name, amen.